Did you think I was making him up? Did you think he wasn't real? Well, today, you're going to learn who he really is. Mr. Sean Medeiros, Mr. Engineer himself, here to join me today on a podcast, Formula One Philosophy for Real Today. Yes, you thought I was crazy. Yes, you thought my opinions were stupid, dumb, retarded, any adjective to describe somebody with a mental handicap, and you were correct. But today, my therapist is in the room with me, and we're going to talk all things Formula One. Would you like to introduce yourself, Sean? Hi, everybody. The jury's still out on whether or not I'm a figment of his imagination. Maybe he's just really good at impersonations. You'll come to see that. I'm, uh, I've been working on some stuff. Not today. But I've been working on some impressions. And I can't wait to bring them out. You'll probably bring them out of me organically, especially if we start doing uh, this podcast regularly after qualifying. After like a couple beers on a Saturday night. Yeah, you'll start to hear some some real impersonations there. I'm sure we will, but I already have a correction for you, and we're not even into the episode yet. Oh, my God. You say we'll talk about everything F1 related, but I think there's a very specific topic for today. Yes. Okay, fine. Strike one, and we're not even a minute and 30 seconds in, just barely over a minute and 30 <laughs> seconds in. Okay, let's start over. This is Formula One philosophy, the first ever Formula One philosophy episode. Up until now, you've seen Formula One therapy, my crazy ramblings, my, as Sean told me, Shutter Island-like delusions. And for the most part, they are. Surprisingly, and I'll let you comment on this, the one you seem to have the least problem with was my quick discussion, which I thought for sure, I was like, oh, I really don't want to post this. And that's why, like, you'll hear in the audio, I'll say this is episode two, because it's the second ever ever recording I ever did. But I'm like, I can't post this. This seems too silly. This seems too dumb. This seems, like, too opinionated. And you came back with some, uh, some decent feedback on that. Yeah, and honestly, it was probably not the most coherent rant you went on. <laughs> but it was a topic that is at the forefront of my mind something that a lot of people don't grasp and I think the media around F1 and all the different personalities in F1 broadcasting are just terrible at explaining it mm. um, so you and I have some opinions that align that are pretty close to each other very few and we have some opinions that are very drastically different yeah, I just don't think we're willing to be full of shit. If like, if you want to tell everybody how long we've been friends, it's like we've we've never ever compromised. Okay, well, you've never compromised your integrity, as far as I know. I've had my issues in the past, but I think that's what I've always liked about you is that you've always be said what you believed and believed what you said, and that's why I think our Formula One conversations are they need to be on the record now because we get a lot right. And we just, we've never recorded it. Like, we'll talk about it as we have more discussions. Like, I'm going to, I'm definitely going to brag on some of the predictions I've made. But, but yeah. are they actually right? Or are they just us misremembering what we said to each other in a drunken mm. stupor? Mm. Column A and column B, I think. Yeah. You're, you see, when even my therapist doesn't know what reality is, uh, we're in a lot of trouble. Okay. Well, when, when your therapist is all in your head, that's a bigger problem, but... You know, 
This is incriminating evidence. This will one day put me in jail. I've really done this to myself this time. All right. Do you want to tell everybody what we're talking about today? Well, today we're going to talk about the driver market. Silly season is already upon us, and the season hasn't even fucking begun yet. Oh, my God. That's a whole other issue. Have, have you ever seen, like, I, how long you've been watching Formula One now? I think it's at least 15 years. Uh, consistently most races since about 2010, yeah. Yeah, and you've never seen already anything like this. I don't. I can't remember a time when 12, like it's 12 drivers, or now, I guess now 10, that were out of contract at one point. Yeah, it's basically, it's over half the grid still. And we may know where one of them is going, but what does that do for the rest of the field? Hmm. And I guarantee you there were contracts in the works before Hamilton made that uh, that decision that have now been thrown out because they want a, ch- a shot at his seat. What do, you, what do you mean by that? Do you mean like that Mer- Mercedes got this going in a sense or like Ferrari got this going before they knew they were going to get Lewis Hamilton essentially? Like, Well, I mean, Ferrari got it going by signing Leclerc. So they signed him to a multi-year deal and they knew they wanted a a partner for him that was not going to be a mid-pack driver. They wanted a superstar to be with their superstar. Mm. So they've been going after him for a while. I think that's clear. John Elkin has been very clear that he wants Lewis Hamilton. What I meant by that was there are people negotiating contracts for 2025, because as you said, over half the grid needs a contract for 2025. And... I'm sure there are some drivers who were in late stage talks for a drive in 2025 that have now thrown that contract out the door to go run and see if Toto wants them. Ah, and we're going to, and we're going to get to that. And I have, I have three names. I've been thinking about this all day more so because I knew we were going to talk about this, but my original thought came to two names and uh, we're going to talk about that when we get to Mercedes. One of those names is going to make your head explode. <laughs> and it's not who you think. It's not who you think. It's not it's not my boy that I'm talking about. It's another name that I think makes kind of makes sense for Mercedes even though we both are kind of agree he should be off the grid. Is it the French Spaniard? No, oh, it's the French Spaniard. Good guess, Sean. I I had a feeling you'd understand. He does make let's you know, fuck this isn't a professional podcast. We'll just get into this. Esteban Alcon does actually make a lot of sense for that seat. Not because he's good. <laughs> but because he's Toto's lap boy? Exactly. And he and I think two of those lap boys, one of those lap boys I will forever go to bat for, we know, is Mick Schumacher. And Toto has kind of turned him into a lap boy in the past year. He's really been, he was the first to go to bat for him. And then it slowly came out throughout the year. Oh, he wasn't as bad as we all thought he was. France Toast apparently wanted him. Yoscapito was okay with having him. And then he was just slowly talked out of seats. But I, th- I think Toto would probably want him in that car, or at least on the record for everyone to see he wants him in that car while he's probably going to go with somebody else. Hmm. I think. I think if they really... If they're really serious, they're probably going to put Alex Albon in that car. Interesting. Mm. And 
there's a lot of talk about Albin recently, and uh, we'll get into that in a minute. So Esteban's on the top of my head because I just looked at all of his data earlier this afternoon. Mm. And I do want to say, early in his career, he was promising. When we look at his junior career, we have very high completion rates. So out of number of races finished and percent finished, they're very high. They're higher than most other drivers. So he's entering anywhere between 15 and 33 races in his junior careers, and he's finishing between 90 to 100% of those races. And that's massive. This is very refreshing, isn't it, everybody, that instead of me just rambling numbers off the top of my head, Sean has graphs and uh, what, what do you call this? Like, this is just graphs it's and just charts. just tables worth of data. Yeah, in, in front of him and backing up his points. Yeah. Like, a, like a proper scientist, unlike me who is just sort of there. Anyways, so Esteban Ocon then, at the beginning of his career, but like a lot of drivers on the grid. You'd be surprised. So, for example, Esteban was thrust into Formula Renault 2.0, which is a pretty common starting point, but usually they have a regional Formula 4 or something like that behind them before they get into Renault 2.0. So he's like Formula Renault France or something, or like Western France or it's something? It's Euro Cup. Okay. So it's a European mm -hmm. Formula Renault 2.0. A lot of F1 drivers currently on the grid started there. And first seasons are always a bit hit and miss, so 14th place is first season. The next season he's third place. And then he moves up to Formula 3, where he places first in his first season in Formula 3. He places first in his first season of GP3, which were different series. Are they are they adjacent series, or are they is just they changed the standard to Formula 3 after he was in it, after he was in GP3? I haven't looked into it in any real detail. My understanding was that it's basically a name change. And they went from Formula 3 to GP3 back to F3. Mm. But I'm sure there's a correct version of that out there that I'm missing something on. Don't worry about it too much. And like I said, after my incoherent ramblings, this is still very refreshing. So keep it up. Yeah. <laughs> and like a couple of drivers on the grid, he then pretty much ruined his career by jumping from GP3 into F1. Ooh. You and were just telling me about somebody else who, uh, who was that type of person. Would you care to elaborate on that now or you want to save that for later? Uh, we can touch on it now. I think the detail should come later, but uh, Lance Stroll is the other one that did exactly that. Uh, what I was mentioning to you before is that he actually had an extremely impressive junior career, uh, one that by all indications meant he should have been a multiple world champion by this point in his F1 career. Multiple world champion. A maximum Verstappen level type of champion. Yes. Yes, that is that is like the that is a bomb that you a nuclear bomb that you just dropped in the middle of uh, Hiroshima right there. That being said, obviously that hasn't happened. And why hasn't it happened and all that? I think we'll get into later. But OK, then you know what? Let's pretend like we have some structure here and let's start where we wanted to start today. Lewis Hamilton to Ferrari. That, I think, is just kind of shaking everybody up. I, I, I've been watching a lot of. Uh, video shorts on YouTube. I've been watching a lot of podcasts. Uh, funny enough, the formula for success guys that uh, my standard 
by the way, if you want uh, this, I'm not being paid by them at all, but the standard of podcast in Formula One right now to me is David Coulthard and Eddie Jordan just shedding on each other for 30 minutes at a time. It's to me the best formula podcast because you have a former team principal and a former driver. So you have people in both realms, major realms of Formula One. But yeah, sorry. Can I say something about that? Mm -hmm. I think I know why you enjoy that podcast. <laughs> it is two people from a bygone era of F1, mm. one of whom didn't really do much. Like, obviously, he's worth being noted as someone who is in F1 and had his own team, Eddie Jordan, of course. And he has a very colorful personality, but he is a byproduct of that 90s F1 that you seem to love so much. It's because if you, if you listen to him talk, the guy essentially, to use a poker term, had a chip and a chair. He didn't really have much. He, he, I don't think he was a great engineering mind. I think he understood a lot. Oh, he even says it himself. He doesn't understand any of it. His job was to get people in place that did understand it. Yes. You know, and it's funny that he shits on Flavio Briatore a lot and said that him and him, him, the both of them had a lot of fights. I think it's just a, two different Catholics, Irish and Italian, have this natural friction with each other. But Briatore is the exact same thing. Someone who didn't really know too much about the car, but brought together some great teams. Out, out of nowhere and but yeah i just i like that underdog story and i think and there was another thing you forgot to mention about eddie jordan he discovered michael schumacher and of course and then that's and that's a, to me i think it's his biggest contribution yeah and i mean i say he wasn't he didn't amount to much in f1 because jordan as a team didn't ultimately go anywhere but like i said he mm -hmm. he deserves recognition for what he did during that time yes right he he did seem to be someone who could find talent yes michael and ralph um he brought the best out of heinzold frenson because uh, they did finish third in the constructors in 99 and we're missing a couple other big names that i think oh, i think fisichella we owe actually yeah, more, that's yeah, more, so. more so Minardi discovered him, but he, I think he started bringing confidence out of Fisichella. Fisichella got his first couple podiums at, at Jordan. So yeah, well, like once again, these aren't necessarily like Fisichella, especially is not a huge name. But you see what I mean? You know, all this detail about an obscure team that no current fan of F1 even remembers. You, you remember you, you're the one who, who told me that they were, uh, they became Force India. I didn't know that. I, I didn't know that for many years that the, that Jordan transitioned to, into Force India because I think they left, Jordan left Formula One, I want to say at the end of 2006. And then they reformed two years later or three years later as uh, Force India in 2009, if I'm not mistaken. Well, we can do a real-time fact check on that if you want. Yeah, and I'll, and I'll just say some other things while you're doing that. Yeah, because this is why I'm glad you're here, because I don't do any real-time fact checks. I just sort of like try and search through my brain until I find the answer. And it's mostly wrong. But yeah, I, I guess you're right in the sense, because we're going to talk about this a lot, that yeah, I I have this nostalgia for the 90s. And you kind of touched on it early on in this podcast where you said it's what we remember in a drunken stupor. I probably have this passion because it brings about emotions from those from those times i was like nine ten years old watching these title fights and i don't think i really appreciated how much it takes to go in to to build an f1 team 
at that time. And that's why I love talking about Formula One with you in all these years is because you kind of brought me back down to earth in the sense that you reminded me, hey, there's way more than just this hero complex that I I definitely had for Michael Schumacher (laughs) back in the day. There's way more to it. There's the engineers behind it, which I think you've already introduced yourself to. You, You are an engineer. You probably, I don't even want to say, but I, I feel like Formula One could have been an avenue you could have one day breached, but... I almost got there. Oh, wow. Would you like to tell that story? Yeah, sure, we can go there quickly. So I graduated from college in 2010. I went to work at a small family-run fabrication shop, and it was absolutely terrible. <laughs> at that point, I had been to the Montreal Grand Prix. I took my, my dad there for Father's Day. So we saw that, and that got me thinking, hey, why can't I do that? So I started going around to F1 websites, trying to see who had job postings on their website and what theoretically there could be out there. And I came across, um, I think it was Lotus at the time, mm. based out of Enstone. And they they were looking for garage mechanics, race day garage mechanics. Some of that have been Would basically you-, you needed a college education and able to work with your hands and I could do just that so I threw them over a resume and an application and I got an email back saying you've been selected to come and interview oh my god it's a three interview process basically I would have to fly to England um, do the interview no no guarantees that i get on to the next ones and i think what it ended up coming down to was i would have had to spend two weeks in england around endstone mm-hmm. with maybe maybe not getting anywhere so at the time i decided not to do it who knows maybe it would have amounted to nothing maybe i would be working for alpine or maybe i would have realized that they're not worth working for and moved on a long time ago <laughs> We discovered that, I think, four short years later that uh, Renault uh, was a dysfunctional Ferrari wannabe. They're trying to be French Ferrari, from, in my opinion, these days. And, uh, yeah, we'll, t- we'll touch on that in a bit. But, yeah, that's how could you do that to me? You should have taken that job so that you could have taken me to every Formula One Grand Prix. I feel you're being very selfish not thinking about me, okay? So as my hetero life mate slash... <laughs> Inventor, figment of your imagination. Mm-hmm. You wanted me to. Okay. Yeah, okay. You got. You got there. Yeah. Back to the fact check. <laughs> Jordan folded. It looks like somewhere around 2006. Yeah. Okay. They became MF1 Racing. It looks like. MF1. F1 Racing. It's a weird symbol. I can't figure out what it actually is. And then they became Spiker. So Ugh. it was one year of this random team. And they became Spiker, which was not really competitive in any way. Yeah, no wonder Jordan never mentions that. And then they became Sahara Force India. There you go. I'm not as stupid as I look or smell. Okay. Now, we just got off topic again. Of course. Look at us. This is what we do here. The other night we tried to have a discussion on uh, <laughs> on Hamilton and Leclerc, and then we somehow got to... Uh, the politics of uh, of net zero. I, I I still like. There was a lot of beers going that night, so we're gonna try not to do that now. Okay. So Hamilton then. Lewis Hamilton, to Ferrari, are all of our, and all of our heads exploded. Not really, because as you said before, we went off topic. 
it was kind of in the works all of last year. And I really thought at some point it, it seemed like Hamilton was going to pull the trigger then, especially when Wolf came out and said, it's not about money for Lewis. I thought that was the clue right there that, oh, he's, he's definitely going to go to Ferrari. But before I, I go on my explosive rant about this, what do you think about this? Yeah, I think I agree. And this is something we talked about the other day. Um, I was listening to F1 Nation, and they had Karun Chandok. Sorry, not Karun. Wow. Did you pull the racism? Yeah. <laughs> we all we all oh, do it. Yeah. <laughs> we all do it, Sean. Don't you worry. It was not Karun Chandok. It was Lawrence Barreto. Okay. And he was mm-hmm. talking about what we've seen from Lewis in the past and what you know, the fact that he's a very loyal person. He spent so much time at McLaren. He basically, Ron Dennis built Lewis Hamilton's career and he felt obligated to be with McLaren. And then Nicky Lauda was very instrumental in bringing Lewis to Mercedes. And he spent the last, what, 10 years, something like that at Mercedes. Yeah, almost 11. Well, I think this will be 11. 11 years mm-hmm. at Mercedes. And obviously he's very close to Toto. He has a lot of respect for Toto. So what emerged out of that discussion with uh, Lawrence Barreto was apparently the discussion that held up Lewis's contract talks last year was that he's looking for a three-year deal. And Toto did not want to give him a three-year deal. Toto offered him a one-year. Can, can you blame him? Because he's going to be, what, this year? He's going to be 39. So that means he would have wanted a deal into 41. Is that really what Mercedes is all about? I, I like it, it, I know I know Michael Schumacher went there to 40 until 41, but that was a special occasion. Sure. That that was like we know you're not going to be competitive, we know we're not going to be competitive, but we know you have one skill. And the one skill is to help a team develop forward. Right. So we're going to we're going to use you until we're going to squeeze every last drop out of, of orange juice out of the orange, essentially. And and I think, thankfully for them, he didn't want to keep going because he he had to retire once to to appease Ferrari and to keep Massa's career going. But he he thankfully retired of his own merit in 2012 because if I don't think if Hamilton comes in at 2013, I don't think they have as much dominance as they do. Or do you think otherwise? I mean, I can't really comment on that. That's It's not something that's front and center in my mind at the moment. Um, does he stay to 41 and does it make a difference to Toto how old he is? I think Lewis at 41 is probably better than most of the people on the grid in their mid-20s in their prime. Right, Lewis, opinions aside... He is a great driver. He's he's the best. I think he's the best driver of of great cars on the grid right now. Yes. Now he doesn't have a great car, mm-hmm. but Toto's goal is not to make a mediocre car. Toto's goal is to have the best car and the best team driving that car. And I think Toto's aim ultimately is to have George Russell be the lead of that team. Mistake. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Um, be the lead of that team once Hamilton does decide to leave. That being said, I think George is not ready for the challenge. 
and Toto needed Lewis to be there, but didn't want to commit to him in case something happened. Mm. Now, we've all seen the last couple of years and how Lewis's attitude to the team has changed. Yeah. Not that he's disrespectful. He's still very appreciative of what they've done, but he's a lot more vocal about, we have to do something. This is unacceptable. Whiny is the word. Yes. It, or at least it comes across as whiny. Yes, absolutely. Mm. So I think Toto is seeing that as, hey, I don't want to commit to three years of this nonsense because <laughs> we can't sustain three years of him bashing the team. Yeah. They, right. they need a lot of confidence right now, and he's not necessarily helping that. Ne- right. n- and, and to your point, neither is George. Neither, like in terms of, of them being vocal, he's not exactly uh, vanilla middle of the road telling them what they want to hear at times. Right, and George hasn't had the career and the success to justify the attitude that he has. We, we talked about this before. In his mind, he has. In his mind, he's a superstar, and this goes to something else we've been talking about for, for many years is that, and I, I outlined it in the point system, I think some of these drivers get too much confidence for not doing much, and they're told they're going to be superstars based on false metrics, like, oh, you can consistently come in the top 10 in bad cars. I think you have a future in Formula One, and it's like a lot of drivers over the years came in the top 10 with bad cars and they didn't really amount to anything. This is my nineties nostalgia again, but I think someone like George Russell was told for some, some trivial results that he was going to be a superstar. And I think it's in his head now that he's, he's done the work to deserve a championship, whether or not he actually has. Yes, exactly. And that is where, my analysis of the drivers goes so taking your comments about points and points not ultimately mattering i found a way to look at it and it's not anything complicated it's pretty straightforward you look at finishes what the average finish is where they are relative to their competitors how consistent they are i haven't got the george yet he'll be the he'll be the result of what i'm doing for sure but ultimately Points don't tell you much other than they place in an arbitrary position where you decided to give them some imaginary number. Mm -hmm. So if we are talking about great drivers winning, winning is the ultimate benchmark. That's, you know, that's a great way of putting it. I would even say a consistent top three finisher, you can, you can tell a lot from. Yes. Is that someone could eventually like... The idea of doing the right things long enough and consistently until you win, it, the right things are getting podiums. Sometimes when you had no business getting a podium, you could make the case that Lando Norris, uh, I think it was in 2022, the only non-Red Bull, Mercedes, or Ferrari driver to get a podium was him out of nowhere in Imola. He might have something there in terms of of championship potential because he can sneak a podium every now and then. And once again, I'm fucking getting off topic with Way my comments. Topic now, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. Let's, let's, but yeah. Go back on. to Hamilton with mm-hmm. ultimately, I think he felt betrayed by Toto. You know, he's given the team all these years and had lots of success 
and feels like he had the the rug pulled out from under him basically by not getting what he wanted in a three-year contract Mm. if he had gotten that three-year contract does he end up going to ferrari or does he end up retiring after that three years if he gets one more championship and becomes the most winningest champion in f1 does he need to go to ferrari right ultimately he wants to he, you know, he's a, an idol or he idolizes Senna like a lot of the drivers do and like a lot of us do. Mm-hmm. So I think he would want to continue on what Senna did and wanting to go to Ferrari. And obviously he died and didn't get to go to Ferrari before that. So I think that's part of the reason. And Hamilton has said that that's, you know, he wants to finish his career there because that was Senna's goal. Mm-hmm. So obviously he's thinking about the end. Okay. So if he had gotten three years, does he bother with that? Uh, I have a, a comment to make about that. I wonder if him and Alonzo are playing chicken. Who retires first? <laughs> and yeah, that's, that's it. That is, I'm glad you understood that. That was a joke. <laughs> but like, but at, at this point, like at the end of three years, he would have been, he would have been turning 42 into that season if he stayed another year. Does he still have a lot to give at Ferrari? I wonder. That's a that's a good question. That's a that's I guess a topic of discussion for another day. That if he if he really has the longevity, I want to talk about this another day too, whether or not Fernando Alonso actually has the longevity that we think he has. Is he actually doing as good as he's portrayed to be doing? Is he the reason for the Austin Martin resurgence? I have my thoughts on that, but yeah, let's stick to this discussion today. Hmm. This is what this is what I do. This is the definition of me. I just sort of say something, don't really elaborate on it, in the hopes that none of you uh, take a shot at me, and hopefully I can develop an argument in that time. You'll come to get you'll you'll come to get used to this. Okay. So, based on it is based on how it is right now, Lewis Hamilton to Ferrari, is Ferrari now better or worse? I think that depends on the knock-on effects of Hamilton going to Ferrari. I think if Hamilton ends up at Ferrari and has to work with and deal with the engineers and the nonsense that science has had to deal with, <laughs> it will very quickly fail. Yes. I can just imagine him on the radio losing his mind about being told it's plan F or plan X. <laughs> how the fuck did we get to plan X? How the, how the fuck was the strategy in Abu Dhabi 2023? Don't worry, Carlos, we're waiting for a safety car. Then we'll decide what to do. Like, what kind of stupid nonsense is that? You've been telling me this for God knows how many years, how dysfunctional and poor Ferrari is as an organization. And my... my Don't worry, we're checking. (laughs) Copy. (laughs) Oh, my God. So How dysfunctional they've been for years. And I I think you, you, you nailed the right word, nostalgia. My nostalgia of Ferrari kept me from seeing the truth. And I, I, I saw the truth in the past five years. To be honest, I saw the truth when, and I was wrong about this, when they offloaded Kimi Raikkonen the second time. That it, it became clear that they don't really know what they're doing. They're just kind of rolling the dice and hoping for the best. Because you had an amazing driver pairing, plus you had, at the time it was a big deal, Michael Schumacher's son in F3 winning for your team. The future seemed so bright for Ferrari in 2018. And in that first half of that season, they were dominating. 
And then Vettel decides to slide off at Hockenheim, and it just seemed to change the... That was the butterfly effect for Ferrari right there. <laughs> that was that was like the butterfly that was stepped on that suddenly changed the course of history because it seemed like everything was going for them at that point in time. And since then, they've systematically destroyed that team. And I don't think someone like Hamilton ever had the resources to fix something like that. I think a Schumacher did. I think potentially, and you brought this up, a Senna. If he, a Senna ended his career there, how interesting would it have been to see Schumacher and Senna on the same team? Or I wonder if Senna going there would have put Schumacher on a different trajectory. I think it would have. There, yeah, me, me too. I think we would have seen a more ruthless Schumacher in the sense that he would have picked the best teams. He would have never had... Uh, he would have never wanted to do a, what was essentially a suicide mission at the time, going to try and win with Ferrari and somehow managing to do it. But I don't think Hamilton is that type of person. I don't think he's ever been that type of person. We sort of saw it in the years from 2009 to 2012. And not all of it was his fault. I've been looking at a lot of those races recently. And like, holy shit, Pastor Maldonado and Roman Grosjean need to, to give Lewis a... Uh, uh, a Christmas basket of something every year for all the races that Hamilton was probably going to win that they knocked them out of. Like I've seen a few of them now, like Pastor Maldonado, especially like Jesus Christ, man. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that's, that's where Hamilton on his own is not going to amount to much at Ferrari. Mm -hmm. But I mean, he's got his race engineer in Bono that he spent many years with. And now there's talk about, does Bono go with him? Probably. Uh, Who else goes? Well, actually, I can I can make a point that he doesn't. Because it seems like, and we should have clued into this when it happened, um, Angela Cullen. She left him after how many years? So I wonder if the word was, I'm going to go to Ferrari, and smartly, she didn't want any part of it. I, I wonder. This This is, I guess, just more me. I mean, Angela was paid by Hamilton. She was not a Mercedes employee, right? So that ended up being, yeah, one way or the other. I don't think she would have had any problem going to Ferrari. Her employer is Hamilton, not the team. Okay. Once again, just me sort of picking at grasping at straws, like much like an insane person in the asylum grasping at in thin to thin air. Okay. (laughs) Yes. So he's not that guy, but if Ferrari needs that guy why would they think to now clog their driver lineup in a way that there's not a clear number one or clear number two because they've made it clear like this is something i forgot to mention in my last little spiel about the future being bright is that they made it clear over those past five years that we're willing to destroy sebastian vettel kimmy raikkonen mick schumacher and anybody else even the potential of carlos Sainz. To make sure that Car- that Charles Leclerc is worshipped and treated with the utmost respect, and they keep saying like he's our guy. When I don't, I don't think the evidence is there that he's he's ever going to amount to a championship. Where type. was he this year? Yeah, yeah, cool. You got a you got a bunch of poles. Like it's if you only have one lap pace, but you don't have race pace, you're completely missing the point of F one. I don't, I don't know if you saw earlier in the year they were talking about potentially giving qualifying points. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I bet you Charles Leclerc and, and Nico Hulkenberg uh, were sitting in that board meeting going, yeah, 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 okay, let's do it. That's a good idea. Let's go. 
<laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, if we move into the discussion about Science First Leclerc and what happens there, I think this year is going to get really awkward where they have a driver who's not going to listen to team orders because what has he got to lose? That'll help him win. I think in the case of Ferrari, the only yes. team where you stop listening to orders, you're going to win more. Yeah. Absolutely. And then you've got a driver in Leclerc who, I mean, as far as I can tell, he's completely destroyed. You said it best the other night. You want to you elaborate on that? that? That was the perfect comment. Yeah, he, he went to Alfa Romeo, a team that was, it's basically Sauber with a Ferrari engine and some funding from Stellantis and no expectations. You know, you're a good driver. You're a good young driver. You've been with Ferrari for a long time. You're the nephew of Jules Bianchi, who is largely regarded as a future Ferrari star. And go, go have fun in this uncompetitive car. And lo and behold, he kicked the absolute shit out of his teammate. Was it again Marcus Erickson? Marcus Erickson. Mm-hmm. And scored points with an uncompetitive car more than once. And helped develop that car to be what it was by the end of the year. And ultimately, Ferrari noticed that and said, well, shit, I guess he's ready. Hmm. Which, hey, maybe. Maybe he could have used another year or two at Sauber before going to Ferrari. Maybe that would have built up his confidence and let him develop more as a driver. But Ferrari took him. And then promptly shat the bed because they cheated on fueling regulations. Yeah, that I I couldn't um, I couldn't remember what was it again. It was um, it was a way to to get fuel into their engine faster, or was it like yeah, way? the engines are extremely convoluted and complicated. But basically, there's a fuel flow requirement, and just for the record, nobody has actually come out and confirmed anything that's happened behind closed doors because that was an entirely closed door Ferrari FIA deal. Mm. But the going theory is it was a fuel flow anomaly where Ferrari found a way to trick the fuel flow sensors because you're only allowed a certain amount of fuel flow into the engine um, at a time. So you have a set fuel amount for the race and you can't use more than X amount of liters per minute or whatever the measurement is. Uh Ferrari found a way to be able to flow more fuel into the engine to give them more performance. That's the going theory. But but didn't they risk potentially running out of fuel by doing that? Or they figured out a way that they would still be able to use the same amount of fuel throughout the race? Yeah, like I said, the engines are extremely complicated pieces of technology. So it's not that they're just pumping more fuel into the car all the time. It's in certain areas, in certain modes, you're only allowed a maximum fuel flow rate at any point in the engine's operation. So basically, the theory is at certain modes that they're operating in, certain RPM ranges, certain load profiles for the engine, they're able to bump up the fuel flow. So they're not constantly using more fuel. It's when they need to, Mm. they're using more. So ultimately, they might have a little bit more fuel on board, knowing that they're going to consume a little bit more. But as long as they don't run out, they're fine. Mm. You need at least, I think it's one liter in the tank at the end of the race to take a fuel sample for. So as long as they have one liter in the tank at the end of the race, no one questions it. 
we'll t- we'll talk about another day whether I think because my my mind instantly goes to okay why don't we just bring back refueling to avoid a lot of this nonsense and we'll I think we'll we'll talk about that another day but it sounds like they figured out something that maybe the rest of the grid should have just adopted sort of like how uh bronze what was it bronze diffuser in 2009 the diffuser yeah yeah it, it seemed like the solution was not don't ban it just let everybody else catch up and i think that was a good solution i think if they had been open about it if the fia had done an investigation and said hey this is what we found we're going to deem it illegal next year then yes, you would have seen that happen. But what happened is everybody went, no, they're compliant. There's no rules breach. We didn't find anything. And if you believe them, then nothing happened until after the season when they concluded their investigation and Ferrari came clean that something had happened. Hmm. But again, never came clean to any of us. It all happened behind closed doors. And then the next year, the engines were absolute garbage. Every yeah. team that ran a Ferrari engine was absolutely abysmal. Mm-hmm. And even 2021, for, yes. for the most part, too. Yeah, like they, they lost two full years. Uh, and that just, just shows what happens when you screw up one year for one team. Like, like it's they're always, there's so much development year to year that we don't really understand, I don't think. And that if you set someone back one year, it can really, it can set them back another two. Absolutely. And tying that back to Leclerc, he Mm. came in, obviously, at that point where the car was uncompetitive. So he went from being a wonder kid with Alfa Romeo, who had no pressure on him, to being now the lead driver at Ferrari, basically, because we all know that even though Seb was there, Ferrari put all their eggs in the Charles Leclerc basket. Oh, big time. To the point where you were seeing... Vettel finished 14th a lot of races like like just you don't go from being consistently in the top five to being 14th without some sabotage yeah I, yeah don't get me wrong Leclerc had some good finishes at Ferrari in the early days too mm-hmm. but ultimately I think the pressure him being a young driver and having all that pressure on him you know the analogy gets thrown around that Ferrari is the Italian national team of F1. Mm. So he's got the entirety of the nation behind him. I think that broke him. I think he was there too soon and it broke him and it's continued to break him and he hasn't recovered and probably won't recover from it. I have, I have two comments to that. One, we can look back in history and say that happened to another driver, Jean Alessi. And it's almost identical in a lot of ways. Someone who they thought was, oh, wow, he's so competitive in a terrible car. Like I, I mentioned this in one of the other podcasts. 1992 or 93, Ferrari finished on the lead lap three of 16 races. Like think about, think about that's how bad the engineering was from year over year that they went from a decent team to a team that was lapped 13 of 16 races. And of those three races they finished on the lead lap, I think Jean Alessi had, I had one podium. So they thought the world of this kid. And he never really amounted to much. He only ended up having one win in four or five seasons there. But he was worshipped by the fans, worshipped by the team. And it wasn't until Michael Schumacher essentially bullied his way into that team and said, I'm bringing, I'm bringing Ross Braun, I'm bringing Jean Tott, I'm bringing some other engineers 
with me that Ferrari said this, it's essentially to use the Italian analogy and offer we can't refuse. And yeah, and I, I see I see a lot of Leclerc in that because the two seasons of 2020 and 2021, there also wasn't that much pressure on him. And he did overachieve, especially 20, 2021. I think there was this sense in the air, okay, we're just we're still growing. We're still just trying to make it back. Their goal that year was let's just be P3 in the constructors at the time. I think they knew they weren't going to catch Red Bull. They weren't going to catch Mercedes. Let's just try and be the next best. And I think Sainz and Leclerc, to tie this back to discussion, you saw, you saw the real versions of them that year. As in two drivers who are happiest when they can just finish sixth and seventh and nobody gives a shit about them. They will overachieve from time to time if their baseline is that. And I think Sainz got second in Monaco that year. Leclerc got second in Great Britain. I think he got that pole in Monaco where he never ended up starting. I think he got another podium too, Leclerc, that year somewhere. I'll look through it uh, another time. But yeah, that that's always been my problem with Leclerc. And to tie this back to him on Hamilton is that he's a number two driver who thinks he's a number one driver. He, he doesn't have that killer instinct as much as Ferrari may think he, he does. Like Jean Alesi. And they're going to have a big problem this year trying to figure out who the number one driver is. I think there's going to be even more friction between him and Hamilton than there was Hamilton and Russell this year. I think, I think you may see a lot of that friction in, in the sense of, who, of what they're trying to figure out between them. Sorry, Are you thinking Hamilton and Rosberg t- levels of friction by the end? Ooh. Um, no, Hamilton and Rosberg, that's a good point, but n- I don't see that simply because Hamilton and Rosberg were fighting for a championship. There's a lot of, we saw that with Verstappen and Hamilton too. When there's a championship on the line, there's a lot more emotion than normal. Then like Hamilton and Russell get pissed at each other when they crash at each other, but then they, I think they step back at the, after the race and they realize, okay, what are we really doing? Here we're like, were we really going to win the race? Were we going to finish second? Were we going to finish third? You know what I, you know what I mean? In the sense that there wasn't as much on the line as they may have thought originally. And I think you're gonna you're gonna see that this year. What I wonder, what why I wanted to have this discussion is what I wonder is Hamilton the last time he left a team to go to another team, McLaren Mercedes to McLaren uh, to Mercedes is. There was regulation changes coming the pri- the following year. So when Hamilton left, he had a season to get adjusted to a team before major regulation changes were coming. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. I wonder if Hamilton knows something about Ferrari that we don't know. And and you you very funnily brushed it off the other night where I said, does he know that Ferrari figured out something in the engineering department that they don't normally figure out. Like, did Ferrari actually get it right this time? And you like just sort of rolled your eyes at me and go and went, really? Well, this is why I brought up the thing about who goes with Hamilton. Because especially at a regulation change, the gardening leave periods for these guys in F1 teams are huge, right? It's a term we don't really use much here in North America, but I want to say when Ross Braun left... Um, uh, 
I forget what it was. He, um, when he started working for the FIA, he had a massive gardening leave period. And we're talking in the range of like six months to a year and a half. What, sometimes. What is a gardening leave period? It's basically like um, you resign from your job, you have to give two weeks notice. Right? But because mm-hmm. of the the intellectual property and everything around these cars, how how advanced they are and how much competition there is, they don't want you to pick up and go to your the competition with two weeks. Mm-hmm. So they say you have to give six months, 12 months, 18 months, whatever it is. And basically they get paid to sit at home and do nothing so that there's time for them to continue developing so that when you show up at your largest competitor, you don't have the latest information, right? That's what they say. That's what they mean when they say gardening leave. So if we're talking about Hamilton going 2025, he's got a year to, to develop who goes from Mercedes that he's used to dealing with, or who does he convince in the of, in other teams in the paddock to go to Ferrari, so that in 2026 at the regulation change, they come out on top. Are are Mercedes looking like they have they're on top of the new regulations? Like, I don't think he takes anybody from Mercedes because so far they're getting everything wrong in this new era. Well, what we mentioned the other day is Mercedes over the last year year and a half have poached a bunch of chassis and aerodynamic people from red bull so of Aston martin so of a couple of other teams you have to understand like these are not the tiny little teams that we used to have these are thousands of people working in engineering now so there's a lot of people working on different areas so they can afford to lose one or two but it's a matter of who are they losing right some of these names are not household names, but if you pay attention in the background, you know that they're big names within the organization. That's what that's what you're here for. So so I don't have to pay attention. <laughs> <laughs> and Red Bull has done the same, but on the engine side. Red Bull's developing their own engine for twenty twenty six and they've taken a lot of Mercedes engineers. Interesting. So basically they've both poached from each other in the areas that they need help in. So I guess where I'm going with this is I don't know how close Lewis is to any of those people, whether he thinks they can be helpful to him or how much influence he has. But if there is somebody there that he has some sway over and says, hey, why don't you come to Ferrari with me, help turn this team around? I don't think there's anybody on the grid, regardless of what your feelings of Ferrari currently are. I don't think there's anybody on the grid that wouldn't want to spend some time in the biggest name in F1. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely, it definitely poaches people, uh, in the sense of, uh, of prestige or, or, or royalty. It's, it's, it's definitely F1 royalty. It's definitely the king of F1, even though it doesn't really act like it and hasn't acted like that in 15 years. And in the sense that everybody wants a piece of the crown, but do you really think this garden leave, area is going to like do you think a lot of these people who just switched over teams are going to switch again and basically take 2025 off or six months of 2025 off just to help lewis hamilton for 2026 yeah i'm not saying that the people that came from red bull to mercedes are now going to jump ship and go to ferrari that was just an example of gardening leave and what it meant and how these people do change pretty regularly 
you have to realize that a lot of Mercedes people are already at Ferrari. Mm. There are a lot of people who started at Ferrari, went to Mercedes, and are now back at Ferrari. Or have taken some time and gone to McLaren. like mm. Stella. The, Stella yeah. being the biggest name, yeah. Um, Laurent Mackies is another one. I can't remember what his timeline is, but Ferrari was not his first place there. I believe he was with McLaren at one point, went to Ferrari. Now he's going to lead Alpha Tauri. Oh, well. Racing uh, Bulls, whatever they're calling themselves. Cash App, Racing Bulls. Sean, show some respect to the greatest name in Formula One. Well, apparently they're not going to actually call themselves that. It's just a branding exercise. Oh, my God. What a mess. Um, <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, if I'm not mistaken, wasn't he Ferrari's strategist in 2022? Laurent Mackey's? No. I forget what his title was, but he was not necessarily the strategist. Uh, I might be wrong on that, but we'll have to look into it. Why did look out Daniel Ricardo? Or should I say, I will check. <laughs> Strat 2. I, I don't, I don't, I don't, no, that's more Red Bull. Strat 2, Max. Strat 2. <laughs> okay, but yeah, let's, before we go crazy. So I, wanna, I just want to put a bow on a couple things. Science and Leclerc. We're never going to win a title for for Ferrari because it became, I think, pretty obvious to Carlos Sainz within a year, especially 2021. He was just as good. I I wouldn't say better, but he was definitely at any given day an an equal to Charles Leclerc. I understand Charles Leclerc is a little bit better in terms of getting more poles and has more wins. He got a jump on the 2022 regulations before Sainz did. But I think their major problem was that they couldn't they couldn't figure out who number one was. And not just them, Ferrari apparently couldn't figure it out in some races too. Silverstone 2022 being the most obvious one, where you have an opportunity to take some points off of Max and you sabotage Leclerc for, for signs, which I don't know what that was. I still have no idea what that was all about. Like I'm at that point I was not a Ferrari fan, but like to watch as just an observer, it's like that didn't make any sense to me. Like, why not favor Charles in that situation who was leading the race too? And I feel, I, I, the only reason I bring that up is just, I feel like something similar like that is going to happen with Hamilton at some point. I, I, and I, but I wonder, we had this whole talk about gardening leaves and stuff like that. I wonder if they're ever going to get that competitive too, to, to bring about the original point of my discussion. Is Hamilton that guy? Are they going to get better under Hamilton? These these are all questions we need to ask. It's a fair question to ask. I don't know that anybody's going to have an answer for you until we get to twenty twenty five. Yeah, and and that's well, I'm I'm asking these questions because this should have been the calculus in Ferrari's head. What what do you what do you really want to do? Do you really think you can win? Do they have? And that's why I'm starting to think maybe they have something up their sleeve for twenty twenty six, because. If you stop and analyze this, this doesn't make any sense. This doesn't make any sense that you already had a problem. You couldn't win a championship in 2022 because you didn't know who number one was. Also because your number one didn't have it in him to win, in my opinion. And to go back to 2021, to, to keep adding to my point, to go even deeper. I harped on you on, on about this when I saw it happen. I keep harping on it. I want to shut up about it, so now I'm just going to get it on the record, and I promise this is the last time I will tell you this and talk about this. 
When he was on that radio, I forget which race it was. I think it was Mexico 2021. When he was leading the race briefly. And Hamilton, Verstappen, and Bottas are reaming down on him. Catching up on him. I think it was, there was 15 or 20 laps left. And, he, and he's leading the race. And he has the audacity to, to go to Ferrari on the radio and say, what is our realistic position to finish? And Ferrari, of all people, had to sit there and slap him and go, P1. P1, Charles. Like, like in a sense, saying, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> You're a race car driver asking where you can finish, when I can finish? Is the car going to handle it? Who gives a fuck? These are not questions you should be asking. You should drive until that engine explodes. You make your car as white as possible, and you don't let anybody buy you. Exactly. The Schumacher way. If Giancarlo Fisichella is in your way, you try and kill him. Well, maybe <laughs> let's not result. Let's not end up with murder. But yeah, you know. <laughs> that was Schumacher's attitude. And I saw it firsthand in Montreal. I saw him on Liuzzi. <laughs> you described that so well. He just hit him. Just straight up <laughs> sideswiped him in 14th place. No. No reason at all, except I'm pissed off that he's going to pass me in a slow car. If you if you've ever played tennis, which is also an individual sport, they get they they penalize them now. But back in the day, it was like a an an open secret that the matter you get when you're losing, the more focused you get. The more you smash your racket, the more you can turn around that 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 game. And I think that was Michael Schumacher's attitude. I can't win. Let's destroy somebody. Let's go I'll, kill somebody. I'll be better. Exactly. <laughs> and the one I'm thinking of with Fisichella was Brazil 2006, his last race, when he was hounding him down and Fisichella just knew like, oh my God, he's going to kill me. And he spun out like a... Oh, I love that one. I saw that one. <laughs> I watched that live. That was fantastic. <laughs> Scared the shit out of Fisichella. <laughs> we love you, John Carlo. We do. You did some great races after that, but, but you were no match for that, man. What was that, a last to third or a last to second, something like that? I think it was last to fourth. And if I, I, I think it was actually Fisichella who gave him the original puncture. So that's, prob that's probably why Fisichella knew, oh, no, I'm dead. I'm dead. <laughs> Get me out of here. <laughs> Anyways, that's something that Charles Leclerc doesn't have. He doesn't have that ability to win out of nowhere. It needs to be fucking perfect for him every weekend in order for him to win a race. He's never... I, actually, that's wrong. Austria 2022 was the only race he won not from pole. That's like... I'm, I'm, I, lay, I let that sit for a sec. That's fucked up. That's a pretty miserable stat. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure, too, the other four, he had fastest lap pole and led like 90% of that race. Like if he ever falls behind, he just crumbles under the pressure. That's not championship material. No, no. So and so Ferrari should know this already. And like I said, this is my calculus. But you're now going to bring in a guy who's similar in the sense that Hamilton, if the car's not perfect, he's not going to win a championship. Now he is going to what separates him from Leclerc and makes him better is that when the car's not perfect, he's still going to win races, which is which is why he's one of the best of all time. As much as I may not like his attitude at times and the way he talks, he is one of the best of all time. In my opinion, We'll talk about this another time. I think he's number four. I think it's Senna, Schumacher, whichever order you want. And I think we're seeing Verstappen become number three, if not number one. 
in this in this current period. Like I said, another discussion. But you have so you have a similar problem in the sense that you're not going to win a championship unless it's perfect for Hamilton. So what's your thought process here? You're going to have two drivers who aren't going to have the best car trying to win you a championship and they're both going to get and you know they're both going to get fucking miserable when you when the inevitable fuck-ups come. And and not just like it's not just inevitable, it's like seems like every like 6 to 10 races something fucks up at Ferrari. You know what? Maybe you've just hit on something there. Because Charles Leclerc came up with Ferrari under Mattia Bonato. And obviously somebody at Ferrari didn't like him, so he's gone. And you've got Fred there now. Hamilton was not hired by Fred. Obviously there's contracts involved and Fred has to be involved in signing contracts and whatnot. But the recruiting for that was done by John Alcan president or whatever his title is of Ferrari. Mm -hmm. He's the one that got Hamilton to sign and agree to come to Ferrari. So maybe there's a little bit of conflict there. Maybe one, we see the end of Fred Vasseur next year. Ooh. I personally like the guy. I don't think he deserves to lose his job, but maybe Ferrari being Ferrari, they don't know where the problem is. Fire the guy in charge and get the next guy to deal with the problems but you you've said this astutely before why did Maurizio Riva Bene stay as long as he did why did who was before that the during the Alonso years wasn't much better that would have been Montezemolo no oh he's a mess but these people that stay aren't technical people they're not car people they're not racing people Montezemolo um Arriva Bene, they're not motorsports people. Bonato is an engineer, spent his career with Ferrari. Vasseur has a very long history in Formula 2 and everything else. Very well known in the motorsports industry, right? This is something where Ferrari doesn't appear, and I don't know why this is, they don't appear to want to hold on to people who have the knowledge needed to lead groups of technical motorsports people. They, they did. And, and this might shock the young kids listening that uh, in the 90s, Ferrari was the best, well, sorry, Newey still dominated McLaren, Mercedes, like he still made sure they were dominant in terms of engineering, but Ferrari was a close second with Braun, and you're really not going to believe this, kids. Ferrari had the best strategy team <laughs> back in the 90s and 2000s. There was once a time when they did value. Under Jean-Todd and Braun. And under Jean-Todd and Braun. And I, so this is to bring to your point. You're right. Maybe someone, a big name that can bring all these people together is coming. And maybe they're going to poach a big engineer too. Well, actually, where I was trying to get with that, and I kind of went off the rails a bit, is... Maybe Fred had more to do with it than people give him credit for. Maybe Fred, you know what, said, you know what, screw it. I've got one diva in Charles Leclerc. I want another diva in Hamilton so that every day that we fuck up, every day that we have a strategy that doesn't go well, they're not hearing it from one person. They're hearing it from both drivers. Oh. Have a consistent voice. Have a consistent voice that tells all these engineers that they're doing wrong 
so that either they get demoralized and leave so we can hire new people or they pull up their their socks and they get to work and light a fire under their ass right so they weren't hearing it enough because it would only seem to just affect charles leclerc once in a while or carlos Sainz, which they didn't seem to value in the end of it and i mean at the end of the day they were both miserable with the team you see that in any of the races really they both questioned the team decisions and there's a couple of times where carlos basically said fuck it i'm going for it (laughs) so i don't know how that approach is actually gonna work but that might be what it is hey we have our boy in charles and now we're bringing in the seven-time world champion and there's no excuse for you to say i'm not listening to him because he knows how to drive and if he says the car is undrivable fix the fucking car but do, can they do it? They haven't done it now in almost 17 years. Like, are they going to be able to fix it, A? B, I want to touch on one thing you said, too, because you're like, if if we fuck up one, the other can, I think you were trying to imply, the other can still have a good race. That's one side of it. If they fuck up one, the other one can still have a good race or can recover from driving a semi-miserable car. So, so then what's the goal? Of Ferrari, is it to win the constructors? Because that that one maybe can win the constructors. That can't win the driver's title. Yeah, and I think, frankly, we're getting a bit into the weeds of today's discussion. Um, okay. But I think potentially they give Hamilton more credit for being a developer than you and I think he is. I just, it, it's never seemed to happen. Like, at, at some point, it has to happen. I understand... Vettel had Newey at Red Bull, but at the same time, he went to Red Bull and slowly created a champion, like a championship car there. Hamilton never brought that out of McLaren Mercedes. Uh, he He's not bringing it out of Mercedes now. I just... Yeah, and to be clear, he didn't bring it out. It was already there in both those cases. McLaren had good cars. He went to McLaren with a good car. Mm -hmm. He went to Mercedes with a car that was on the up that he didn't have to do much with. But And that's kind of my point. I'm saying, so is he... Now, this is his biggest challenge. I'm actually intrigued to see what happens. I think there's been a lot of talk about him going to Ferrari for many years. I kind of want to see what happens. Because if he does win a title at this shit show, he is the best of all time as much as I hate to admit it. Yes, and I think you're right. If he goes there and Ferrari turns around or, you know, it takes maybe two years, at most three years, and they turn it around and he wins his final eighth championship at Ferrari, then I think Nick and I have to eat our words and agree that Hamilton does have some development clout. But as it stands right now, it doesn't look that way. And frankly, it's going to take him winning at Ferrari to change that opinion. It's but even like I brought up Vettel with Nui, even with Nui, it still took him well, I get three, I, two years at Red Bull, three in three in the Red Bull system at Toro, one of one of those years at Toro Rosso. It still takes time, even with great engineers. It took Verstappen how many years with with uh. With Red Bull, and I think they have no regrets about bringing them in as early as they do now. Sorry, yeah. and it took Schumacher at Ferrari 
at a time when you could develop a lot easier, at a time when you could test 12 hours a day for three months at a time in the off season. It still took him five years. Yep. I just, I, does Hamilton have enough runway left in him, A, and B, like we said already, is he that guy? And we're going to, I guess we're going to find out now. We will have to see where Hamilton ends up. Absolutely. And frankly, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's it has all the makings of a great season. Uh, not necessarily 2025. I think that's going to be a shit show for Ferrari figuring out who's on top. Mm. Um, 2026 regulation change. That means reliability is going to go down. Mm-hmm. New cars, new engines, new drivers in those cars, new teams. Audi will be there. Um, I wish Audi all the best, but I am looking to some. I am looking forward to some spectacular engine explosions, yeah. just like what happened with when they developed the Audi R8. Yeah, that was a giant clusterfuck of a V10 experiment that ended up with a German company using an Italian V10. The Lamborghini. I remember you, you talking about this. Fantastic engine explosions in testing. In testing. So. I really do hope that they come out and they are competitive because I would love to see Sauber on top again like they were with BMW. But my own experience with Audi, I'm hesitant to think that that will happen. Jordan Jordan talked about it on one of his latest podcasts with Coulthard. He said there was a lot of talk around Toyota and because we forget, but Toyota and BMW were great racing teams in other sports, another story in other leagues way back in the day. And they were supposed to come into Formula One and just take over. And BMW just kind of stayed flat for many years. They had Williams with them. That's what made them look better than they were. And then they became BMW Sauber and sort of started falling off a bit. But Toyota just never really figured it out, except for that one time we talked about when they had the idea of the hybrid engine that was shut down by the F- by the FIA. And... That's not the discussion today. Whether whether or not that's the right thing to do, you can comment on quickly if you'd like. But no, the only thing I'll say there is, look where we are now. Mm-hmm. We could have had development like that many years ago, twenty years ago. Cool which too, is yeah. which is um, yeah. I don't want to talk about this today, but like it's why I have my issues with Formula One, which is why I have this podcast. But yeah, so. To put a bow on it, though, mm-hmm. I think we're in for an interesting 2025, even if it's from one team, mm. just to watch the giant train wreck that will be Hamilton v. Leclerc. Yeah, and I think Hamilton. I think Hamilton's going to come out on top of that, which which makes me wonder why Ferrari's doing what they're doing. If you destroyed the career of Vettel and Raikkonen for Charles Leclerc, you're, you're now going to destroy his career, too. And his contract is two plus three suddenly makes a lot more sense. Because we all, we all thought it was, oh, he's going to leave if the T car is not competitive. No, he's going to leave if he's not the clear number one. That's what I think is going to happen. But yeah, I, I, fuck, I got sidetracked when I, Jordan thinks it's going to take Audi five years to be anywhere near the midfield mm-hmm. before jumping up and before potentially jumping up. I wonder if they have five years in them if they're, if they're constantly losing. What you have to realize is that they're not starting this year. They're not starting next year. They're not starting in 2026. 
They've already built a facility. Oh. They've already built engines. They're testing and driving these engines. They have a car. They have a chassis. They have an engine in a car. Okay. Because they're a new manufacturer, they get to develop ahead of everybody else. Red Bull gets to do X amount of hours of work Mm. because they're a new manufacturer. Honda doesn't. Honda makes a current engine. So Honda doesn't get the development credits that Red Bull does, even though Red Bull has Honda's engine. (laughs) Mercedes doesn't get to develop until, I think, next year. Audi has been working for two years already. Okay. So Jordan's five years might be relevant. And sure, they're not competing against anybody. They're not on track. They're on test tracks on their own. But... Audi has clever people, and like any other motorsports division, they they steal or poach people from teams that make sense, right? Like, they have, um, oh, what's his name? He was at uh, McLaren before Stella. Andreas oh. Seidel. Oh, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. They have Andreas Seidel. He mm-hmm. hasn't just been sitting around in his time off. He's been working at Audi developing this team. So the five years is apt, but if they've got three years of development before they even hit the grid, they've got two years. That's a much more manageable goal. 2027, 2028 around there, and we'll also see another team, potentially, and we're, I think we're going to talk about that in our next podcast. Uh, but yeah, uh, that's so it seems like there's still a lot to look forward to in Formula One, and that's coming from me, Mr. Pessimistic on, on Formula One. Mr. Mr. I refuse to watch uh, watch the the league for a few years when they red flagged wet races. That I'll still never forgive them for that. But yeah. <laughs> so, should we start the next section with science then, since we don't know where the hell he's going? Yes. Where? What makes the most sense for him? Some people are saying Mercedes. I think that makes no sense. No, he will never end up at Mercedes. Exactly. It, why would you be a number two to George when you're once again potentially better? Um, you also have, uh, seems like opportunities to go to Audi. Oh, the dogs are joining us. Yeah. Listen, everybody, you'll see them one day, but the dogs want to be part of this podcast. Say hi guys. They held off snoring long enough for us to record and now they've, they've woken up. I'm not editing this. I want everybody to know that we have cute dogs while we, uh, while we record this podcast. It's it's about 200 pounds of Doberman Pinscher. So. <laughs> All right, I'll pet him. I'll keep him calm. Anyways. Uh, yeah, so Audi, I think, makes the most sense for signs. But is there another sleeper team that you may be thinking of? Yes. There's been a lot of talk about Albin to Red Bull. Mm. Frankly, I think Science to Red Bull is a better option. Interesting. And I say that because I truly believe Sergio won't be with Red Bull in 2025. Oh, it's it's already written on the walls. Horner has said, I, I my goal is to get Ricardo back into the seat. Right. And thank you for leading into that. I don't mm. think Ricardo's going to be there. No. I think Ricardo is one of those contracts, like I mentioned earlier, who it was all signed, sealed, ready to be delivered. And then Hamilton went to Ferrari and Ricardo went, hold my hold my drink. I'm going to go talk to fucking Toto. <laughs> you, um, I did not think of that. 
because that does kind of make sense. He's How, a proven race winner. He is. But here's the issue. is Could he play second fiddle to someone like George, George Russell? He will go in there as an older driver, which is ridiculous because he's our age. Oh, my God. Actually, he's a year younger than us. Jesus yes, Christ. Yes. Don't remind me. <laughs> as an older driver, he's smart enough to realize that this is a championship winning team. I have my best shot, arguably, because I'll never, I'll never be a champion with Max Verstappen on my team. No. He's got his best shot of winning a championship in a Mercedes. Okay. Statistically. If they get the next year's right. Yeah, that's the big if. Because when Renault missed and McLaren... I don't think they missed, but he just didn't seem to get a hang of it. Well, this this goes into my analysis of Ricardo. So he's a mature driver in the sense that he's been there for a while. I think that he um, he makes some stupid decisions. He's a great racer. He knows what he's doing. I like his personality. Mm-hmm. He's actually one of my favorite drivers and has been. I from day one, I had him over Sebastian Vettel in Red Bull. And Nick will vouch for this. I, I apparently have a thing for Aussies. <laughs> Aussies and Scots. <laughs> but his decision to leave Red Bull for Renault simply because he didn't trust that Honda would be competitive was the absolute stupidest thing he could have done for his career. He spent all of that year in Red Bull cursing Renault for blowing the fuck up. Yeah. And then he went to Renault, and what happened? The engines blew the fuck up. Mm -hmm. But even still, the mistake wasn't necessarily... You're right in the sense a big mistake was going to Renault. Even still, when he was at Renault, I think the bigger mistake was leaving... Because it sounded like they wanted to build the team around him. Yes. And that is, like I said, he makes stupid decisions. Mm -hmm. He had two podium places in his second year with Red Bull. Definitely some upward trajectory. Yes. If you were to do the Innova, the means would not be the same. That's a throwback to Nick and I's conversation and where we'll take the driver analysis later, but... We can say that Daniel Ricciardo had measurably and statistically upward trajectory at Renault. And then I think the celebrity of McLaren got to him and he wanted to be with a big name team. What did I say to you the other night? I think we will see a better Daniel Ricciardo when he stops smiling. When just one year he sits down and just takes it very seriously. And maybe Toto does that to him. Maybe. I never... That's a really good sleeper pick right there. I did not think about him there. It's because all, all said and done, there is a lot of other bullshit factors that do go into Formula One seats. And you pointed out to me last year when I was hyperventilating about Mick Schumacher being kicked out of Haas. You're like, well, if they didn't want him, they had to bring Nico Hulkenberg, which was another part of my hyperventilation because one and one is a German sponsor and they want a German driver. I wonder if something similar 
like that is going to happen at Mercedes where Mercedes says, okay, yeah, Ricardo makes a lot of sense. However, we kind of want, we want to start getting Germans back into Formula One. Who? Well, this is my pick for the Mercedes seat. I, I think there's a lot to be said that maybe it's Mick Schumacher that goes into there. Whether, whether that's the right choice, at a time will tell. But clearly, Toto has a soft spot for him. Clearly, he was burnt. Clearly, there's still a lot of potential there. I think Toto is smart enough to see that Mick isn't ready for that. Mm. Um, I think if he puts Mick in that seat, it will be a Charles Leclerc all over again. Toto's goal is to get Mick into a Williams or into a McLaren, something like that. Get him some years in F one before he becomes a Mercedes superstar. And that and that's my calculus too. I think I think it's if that makes the most sense. However, it's kind of in a sense to a perfect opportunity this year, in the sense that if you do want to rebuild, if George Russell is your guy, or if he isn't your guy, you bring Mick in, who was the clear number two driver, and then you get rid of George the next year, or like you said, maybe maybe a Alex Albon to Mercedes, who's driving in their junior, sort of like a junior program at Williams. Then you put Mick in the, in the Williams and Albon in the Mercedes. And Albon potentially ha- has, a lot of, has a lot of potential that he could bring out a lot more in that Mercedes. He's also a good developer. He's been doing pretty decent work at, at uh, Williams the last couple of years. Yeah, and it, it's hard to say. I love Albon, don't get me wrong. It's hard to say whether or not he's a good developer or if the team as a whole is making a legitimate step and he's just got a shit teammate. Mm. Because the analysis shows that Sargent has absolutely zero, zero reason for being an F1. Then why do you think they resigned him? Money. Mm. So do you know where, what the sergeant name is? No, I know he's from Florida, so there's probably some secret stash hidden in the swamp somewhere. I mean, his father does have some legal troubles. I haven't looked into it too much, but that is a thing. <laughs> um, sergeant, you've probably seen them around on construction sites. I know I've seen them around on some roadworks here. Oh, wow. They are an aggregates and asphalt company. <laughs> so Logan Sargent's father and uncle, I think it might go back farther than that, run this asphalt and aggregates company. So they are huge. It's a, I don't know if it's millions or billions, but it's a massive company and they have a shit ton of money. And yeah, so Logan is there because of the money. Is it one of the biggest in the United States minus New York City, which we all know as its um, <clears throat> its own companies? Um, but I'm assuming the Sergeant Sergeant Concrete or Sergeant Asphalt goes uh, pretty big throughout the United States, or is it just more of a Florida specific thing? Oh, it's definitely not Florida specific. We have it here. Hmm. If you drive around long enough, you'll see Sergeant on construction vehicles around here as well, and we're in Canada, so. Hmm. Um, they're global. I want to say that they've provided asphalt for F1 tracks globally as well. Interesting. So they're absolutely huge. And this goes back to something you and I talked about the other day, where 
if you're on the F1 grid, you've got enough points to have a super license. You've gone through all the junior series and everything else. You clearly know how to drive, and you clearly know how to drive a race car very fast. Mm -hmm. So it's not about he's not a racer. Logan Sargent can absolutely race cars. He's he's one of the top 30 best drivers in the world. Not top 20 is, right. I think, what we're trying to say. And yeah. that's just it. There are a handful of people who are better drivers than him that should have that spot. Mm-hmm. So he's making Albin look a lot better than he is. That's a great point. I was actually going to touch on that, too, in the sense that do we do we really know if Albin... Ha- like, because I, I don't know how to say this, but like last year in 2022... Albin was put on a pedestal for that race in Australia. And I think nobody ever looked back on his abilities ever since. They never scrutinized him since. It didn't matter what he did after that. That race in Australia, I think, put him on a pedestal. Though The one where he came 10th on one set of tires, essentially. Yeah, which is a huge feat for him in a tire management sense because he ran literally the entire race on one set of tires. Right. But the point I'm trying to make is he could do no wrong from that point forward. So are we, have we been in to bring it back to the Formula One therapy and how crazy I am? Are we having a shared delusion on him? Are we all just seeing things that aren't really there? I think he gets a little bit of credit because the ever, nobody expects the car to be any good. Right. Everybody expects William is at the bottom. They've been at the bottom for so long. He's scoring points semi-regularly for the team, so he must be good. Mm. What people don't realize, or what people may not realize, I should say, is that Williams was not always a bottom-tier team. No. No, they were They were once the best engineers, best managed, They're best everything. They were one of the most winning F1 teams in history. You know, Valtteri Bottas in his debut season came fourth with Williams. Wow. In the Drivers' Championship. Um, Jacques Villeneuve was a world champion with Williams, was he not? Yeah, second second year in Formula One, coming straight from winning kart, which was at, at the time it was almost sacrilege. Nobody else had done that before. Damon Hill won with Williams. Yeah, that's uh, that's another story. All his competitors were having bad seasons. Michael Schumacher went to Ferrari. I we should argue this one day. Who's the worst champion ever? There's three names that come to mind: Damon Hill, Jensen Button. Nico Rosberg. I think I know who your pick is. <laughs> My pick is is uh, is a discussion. The guy that won a championship and pieced out because he knew he wasn't going to duplicate it. Yeah, I, I knew your pick right there. Yeah, I don't argue with you on that. And he and sorry, go on. No, that's, that's fine. But back to Albin and Williams. I think Albin is a good developer, and we talked about this. His time as a Red Bull reserve driver. He did things for Red Bull that were spot on that ultimately got him the job at Williams. You told me this story the other night. That's Tell everybody. That's amazing. So Albin being Red Bull's reserve driver, they put him to work doing a whole bunch of testing, obviously. Sim driving, all the correlation for wind tunnel testing in the sim and everything else. That's all fine and dandy. But when Hamilton ran... Verstappen off the road in Silverstone and caused that massive crash. Red Bull was on the warpath and wanted to prove that Verstappen, or that Hamilton, sorry, should have been disqualified for what he did in that race. He just turned into me, man. He just turned into me. 
racing is racing. It's dangerous. I'm not going to side one way or the other. But ultimately, it was uh, two world champions fighting with each other. Things get heated, whatever. So, Red Bull wanting to prove that Hamilton deserved to be disqualified and therefore lose the points that he got, put Alex Albon on the Silverstone's track and said, here's Hamilton's line, here's his lap time, go hit that. Drive that and give us some feedback. Here's Max Verstappen's line, hit this, give us some feedback. Basically trying to collect enough data to say that Hamilton could have been tighter to the apex. He didn't have to be out as far as he was. The car didn't push that. He deliberately went into Max. Right? So they ran days of testing at Silverstone with Alex Albon in a older car proving this. So cornering speeds, entry lines, exit lines, apex speeds, everything else. And Albon is consistently hitting all these markers. Basically, he takes a bunch of this data and finds Yas Capito in the pit lane at one of the races. I forget which one. Because um, he knew that Williams had a seat open at that time. Finds Yas Capito and goes, here's a bunch of spreadsheets of all my times. I need this seat. And he's still a Red Bull driver at this point. But he wants to be on the grid. And sure, Red Bull's not going to hold him back if he finds a proper seat. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, he impressed Yascapito. And Yascapito said, hey, here's your seat. And, and he's another driver who was, who was burnt to add to that point. Like, it looked hopeless for Albon at that point in time. I don't think anybody ever think they would saw, see him on the grid at that point in time in 2021. They, he was probably never going to come back again. I certainly didn't think he was coming back. Yeah, and... In, in, in the sense that, like, he's he's kind of reminds me of Mick in the sense that, like, he wasn't really given a fair shot. Like, he's basically thrown in his rookie year halfway through 2019 and say, hey, help us win the constructors. Um, I'm a rookie. Like, I'm, I'm going to try and figure out this car, quite frankly. And they didn't win the constructors, but he did his work. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not he saying he did bad. He was not a slacker. Like, he put in the work and he got good results yeah I'm, I'm not saying he did bad what i'm just trying to say is that you're not going to be perfect and they needed perfect in that first in that half of the season and then he comes in in 2020 and quite a few races you and i talked about this he got very unlucky he was ran off the road by lewis hamilton twice that i can think of yeah in, in that 2020 season could have had a lot more points done a lot better had more of a reputation i just like i say in the sense that it was unfair the way they treated albin those first that first year and a half i and it looked hopeless for him, and it's amazing that that that's what it took for him to get back on the grid. So I just I want to wrap this up album by just saying one thing. I think it would make more sense for him to stay at Williams because if you do solidify your relationship, your uh, reputation as a developer in the next two or three, maybe even three to five years and you can win one race in that Williams in five years' time, I think you will go down as more of a legend than if you went to Mercedes and just got like a good set of results, if he got consistent podiums and never amounted to anything else. Because I think that's ultimately going to be his trajectory if he does go to Mercedes or even back to Red Bull, which would make no sense to be second field to Verstappen again when you have a lot of potential. I think I think him staying at Williams kind of to me makes the most sense. 
I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but my my opinion is stay at Williams and develop Williams. He's still not going to be a champion. I don't see him winning a championship at Williams. Even no, no. if he is solely responsible for getting Williams from 10th place to 3rd place, he's not winning a championship with them. Yes. If he goes to Red Bull, if he decides, okay, I'm going to leave Williams in 2025, go to Red Bull for that season, and he starts coming in second, it's still better than where he would be if he stayed with Williams. I don't see him as being championship material. I love the guy. I want him to win a championship. But frankly, his best bet at being a truly good F1 driver is being second place to Max Verstappen in equal hardware where Sergio Perez couldn't. Sergio ultimately got second in the points. No, right? Like the, the, and we're scrutinizing his season. I'm not, but a lot of people are. And yeah, you're not wrong. I guess I forgot that myself. He did end up coming second, did he not? Yeah, this this year it was it was laborious. And that brings up another discussion. Actually, I kind of wanted to talk to. We'll talk about this the next one actually, in the sense that are. Are are they ever going to catch Verstappen? Because there's a lot of this talk that oh McLaren. Um, Mercedes, uh, Ferrari, they're taking steps over the winter. And people, anybody who tells me Austin Martin has been taking steps over the winter, I'm just going to laugh in their face. But we'll say those three teams taken have taken a step. Are they ever really going to catch Verstappen? Because I don't think they were that far behind Sergio Perez. And if you go by the second car, like I think all the teams were a lot closer than they thought they were. One of Ferrari's engineers actually said this. He said, I don't know how much of more of a step we can really take because we're actually a lot closer to Red Bull than you may think. I don't I don't think they're close to Verstappen at all. I agree with that. And I'll give you a prime example of why. Germany 20 was 2019 2018 when it was rainy, the one where Vettel slid off and cost himself a championship. The one where Hamilton slid off, entered the pits, and ended up sitting there for a minute. I think that was 2018. No. Anyway, we'll have to look it up, whatever it ended up being. Ultimately, it was a giant shit show of a race. Hamilton slides off right before pit entry, loses his front wing, dives into the pits. A clusterfuck ensues because they don't have a wing ready. They don't have the tires ready. They don't know what tires they're putting on. He ends up spending a minute stationary in the pits, gets on the wrong tires, starts skating around. He he spent a minute in the pits. You know where he came out? No, I don't know. 12th place. <laughs> if I'm remembering correctly, it was 12th place. That's, that's nothing. Right. This year, if you spent a minute in the pits, you'd be a lap it down on that, last place. That's what happened to Ricardo and uh, Piastri at... Um at Brazil. Right. That is, you're absolutely right. The People don't realize, like, yes, Verstappen ran away with it. There's no question. And yeah, there were times where he's 30 seconds ahead. But in the Mercedes era, when they were winning everything, 30 seconds was the gap between Hamilton and Rosberg at times. And mm. Rosberg was a minute ahead of everybody else. Mm. This field is closer than it's been in a decade. 
Like you look at qualifying, first to 15th is within a couple of tenths. Yeah. You look at the race, first to 10th is within two seconds. When's the last time we had that? Second to 10th. Sure. Yes. Yeah, that that I think that's the point we're we're trying to make this point in the sense that Verstappen has something that none of the field has, and that's why he he keeps winning and running away with it. And I think I think it's just delusional if the teams think they're going to just make this jump over the off season and catch him. I don't think you have someone like Max Verstappen on your team, McLaren, Mercedes, and Ferrari. I think that's ultimately ultimately the discussion we're going to have to have eventually. At some point, like, do these driver market changes even mean anything in the grand scheme of things until Max Verstappen retires? Or until somebody fucks up at Red Bull and makes a terrible car. Mm. Right? Maybe they get cocky. Maybe they go, hey, we don't have a huge wind tunnel budget, so let's save it for developing through the season. And maybe they bomb at the beginning of the year because everybody caught up in the off season and they didn't do anything. If that's what, if that's ever going to happen, it's actually going to happen this season. Exactly. Because that's that's exactly what happened this year, which to me seems scary for the other teams in the sense that they gave up, they gave up development halfway through twenty twenty three and still won twenty one of twenty two races. Yeah. Okay. So. Yeah, but that's I think that's their next discussion. Let's talk about the rest of the grid, about where we think they go. There's we'll run off. I'll run off some names. Fernando Alonso, if I'm not mistaken, his his um, contract runs out at the end of the season. Does it not? It does. Does he stay at Austin Martin, or does he go somewhere else? Like some people I I watched today, I sent you that clip. Fernando Alonso to Mercedes makes a lot of sense to a lot of people. And I ask why, <laughs> like it's all the same problems we were talking about with Hamilton going to Ferrari, essentially saying like, is he, is he good enough to develop a car? Because he's never, he's never developed a good car. So we're running kind of long here. So let's mm-hmm. kind of lightning around this. All Fernando's right. contract is up in 24, which means he has to have somewhere to go in 25. Well, either he stays at Austin Martin. Oh, sorry. I've screwed that up. Yes, because Lewis is leaving early. Yes. Yes. So, okay. His contract is over this year. Could he go to Mercedes? I don't I don't see it. Well, lightning around that, I, I don't see it. I, I think it also doesn't make sense for Mercedes to want to do it. You want to replace one old guy with an older guy who's not as good. Who arguably will not fit in at Mercedes. Yes. Agreed. Alonso is not going to Mercedes. Where's Alonso going? I think I think his best bet is to stay there, to stay okay. where he is. But I also think if I'm Austin Martin, I start really asking if he's the best option we got too. But I, it's, it's, he probably is. But we'll see. If I'm Mike Crack and Lawrence Stroll, I say keep him because he scored the majority of our points. That's fair. All Obviously, right. Lance Stroll. Where's he going? <laughs> Um, he's going to go to where? <laughs> yeah, I couldn't come up with a quick enough joke. Yeah, he's staying right there. All right. Um, the Alpines. Alcon, you want to suicide bomb him, I believe, is what you is what you said. That's a joke, everybody. I need to fly for a living, so <laughs> no. 
I don't think Ocon's going anywhere. Yeah, probably. I don't think Gasly's going anywhere. Whether they deserve to stay is the question. I think they are very French Mm. at a French team. So they will stay and they'll do the same thing they did this year. Yeah. That's, I think, safe to say. Like, let's lock sixth place in at Alpine with like two random podiums and then a lot of like yelling and at each other and crashing into each other. Yeah. Okay. We'll do one day's worth of testing in Bahrain, see that we're sixth place, say that we're championship material, and then consistently place sixth place. The French Ferrari, everybody. Alfa Romeo. They're not Alfa Romeo. Oh, that's right. Uh, kick, Sauber. Um, no, they are stake F1 racing team. Nickelodeon team, as you called them last night, which was the smartest thing you've ever said. Which is a complete mindfuck because the color scheme is Kick's color scheme. Really? They have a K on the car, Ew. but it is the stake F1 team. Oh, my God. All the steak branding is white. Those Ferrari engines are really fucking up their head. Like, well, it's something like <laughs> everywhere Ferrari goes just fucks up the management there. But Anyways, yeah. Drivers. Bottas, um, it's about time he either shit or got off the pot. If he doesn't have a good season, get the fuck out. Why? Like we've talked about before, mm-hmm. he has found a way to be retired and get paid millions of dollars to be retired. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying Bottas should retire. I'm saying they should get rid of him. Like, I, I'm saying, like, if he doesn't do anything for them, like, he, his career, I think, is not overrated, but it's just, it's, it's been a downward trajectory. Um, yeah, he got the short end of the stick at Mercedes, and that kind of stunted him. But he's their most consistent scoring driver at the moment. All right, we'll have to agree to disagree on that one. Zhou Guanyu, world champion of 2024, if, if I think, personally. World champion. So I, I will not hear anything else. Max Verstappen, who? Zhou Yu should stay at this team for 10 more years for all of his couple of ninth places that he's gotten over the years. Listen, despite the ridiculous finishes that this team has gotten and their inconsistent performance, where they are right now as far as drivers and development is exactly where they need to be. They're not spending a shit ton of money. They don't have to satisfy any stakeholders to get championships or anything like that. All they have to do is get enough consistent points finishes to not be on the bottom so that Audi still has faith to come in in 2026. That's the definition of 2023 for them. So is this, that's basically going to be their 2024? And 2025. Jesus Christ. What a this mess. is going to be the two faces we look at at Sauber, Kick, Stake, Alpha. Medium, medium rare F1 team. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so we were stuck, it sounds like, with Joe Guan Yu for another two or three years. Okay, great. Um, Which we could have Logan Sargent. For another two or three years, or Logan Sargent to... No, I'm saying, if you want to compare mediocre drivers, I'd rather have Joe than Logan. Oh, yeah, but like just because somebody sh- shit on the floor and didn't diarrhea, it doesn't, it doesn't mean like you're in a good position. Like, would you rather clean up diarrhea or would you rather clean up shit? But if I got to clean up something... 
you'll clean up just the this easy log that's easy to pick up. I'm sorry, everybody. I just couldn't think of anything else. In <laughs> oh, Nick and his ill-phrased analogies. Oh, God. Anyways. Okay. So, yeah, we're stuck with them. Williams, Albon, it sounds like he's there for 2025. It sounds like they've already made up their minds about that, James Zal says. I think that's probably a bait and switch, and they, he might end up somewhere else. If you believe the news, he's been offered a three-year contract at Red Bull starting 2025. Jesus Christ. This sh- get better, F1 Media. Get better at your jobs. That is the rumor. And as we know, a lot of these rumors, whether they're true or not when they're said, end up being true through the hype train. It's it's Yeah, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy a lot of the time. So. Yeah. Um, but apparently it was Norris's seat to lose at Red Bull for a while. Like, if Norris wanted it, he could have taken it. I, I don't fucking know with these people anymore. Uh, yeah, that is... The story there is essentially that even after he signed with McLaren for an extended period of time, this current contract that ends at 2025, Red Bull tried to poach him from McLaren to basically break his contract early. And Norris said no. So He he was smart about that. Like, he was never going to beat Verstappen. No. Okay. Sargent, I think this is his last year unless he really comes up with something special. Uh, I mean... They gave Latifi two years. Three. They gave him three. They gave him three years. Oh, my God damn it. Latifi <laughs> was a better driver than Logan. Oh, God. As much as I hate to admit it, he was a better driver than Logan. He was, but but I see what you're saying is that we're probably stuck with Logan Sargent for two more years. Uh, I'm going to say at least one. It depends on how much money Williams needs. Apparently they're well funded, so I don't know. Maybe they get re- if they get rid of the cost cap, Logan Sargent is gone within seconds. Yeah. But yeah. Well, this is another thing, right? James Vowles being Darth Maul to, <laughs> to Toto Senator Palpatine. Um, how involved does Mercedes get in these decisions now? Because as far as I can tell, Logan has no commitments to any manufacturer that's in F1. He's there because he provided part of the budget for the team. So if Toto says, hey, I want Mick in at Williams, I'll give you a steep discount on engines. We've seen that happen before. That's true. And But, but it does sound like Vowles is standing firm because that was the offer at the end of this year. Kind of, I think, from the understanding, Vowels was trying. Uh, sorry, Toto was trying to get Vowels to take him for this year. Sure, and that's he stood firm. But Mick also has his um, sports car commitment for this year. Yeah, but I think that was before. Yeah, it yeah. may have been. Ultimately, it depends on how much pressure goes in where and what the end goal for Toto is. I've already heard people talking about Williams becoming the junior team for Mercedes, like Alpha yeah. Tauri is to Red Bull. Mm. If that becomes the case, then Logan, I don't think, has a position. No. Uh, very. That's very smart for Mercedes. That's very stupid for Williams if they ever want to get back to the top, if they take that, that devil's deal. Absolutely. Alpha Tauri. Alpha Tauri, they are Soon. Honda engines until 2026. We're stuck with you. Can you sit on it for 2026? Good to know. <laughs> Ricardo, as you already said, is not going to be there 2025. Where do you think he goes? I think it's one of two. He either ends up at Red Bull as a happy second to Max Verstappen. 
I think he'll take that with both hands this time. Or if Toto sees the merit in him, I think he plays his cards and tries to challenge Max Verstappen for a win at Mercedes. Hmm. But it all depends on what Toto sees in him. If if Hamilton had a tough time doing it, I, I wonder if Ricardo can do it. I do think Ricardo could potentially be just as good as Hamilton now. And by that, I mean uh, Hamilton out of his prime. I think Ricardo's still at the edge of his prime. But I see with Ricardo going to Mercedes potentially, if that is a potential, I see that as being similar situation to Hamilton, where 25 is not necessarily a write-off, but it's a development year. How does this car feel? What do we need to do? Hmm. Because it's clear George can't do shit. No. George's complaints. I yeah. call him the uh, the French boy prince. And obviously he's not French, but he gives off that vibe of absolute arrogance and incompetence. It does give off that vibe. Um, All right. And last, but certainly... Sorry, did you have something to finish there? No. no last, but certainly not least. They're also not last, but... Oh, who else do we got left after that? We haven't talked about McLaren. But they're 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 locked in for the end of this year. Oh yes, you're right. Yep. We we should talk about them though in another podcast. Yes. There's a lot to talk about there. A lot. Perez actually we're missing Perez, by the way. Well, I think we've defaulted to Perez just not being there. But I want to talk about does he retire? Is it because Sauber him going to Sauber makes a lot of sense because he used to have a relationship there. But if Sauber wants to keep Bottas and Joe, does he just retire? He's done all he could. I mean, that's a good point. I'll counter that with who doesn't have a relationship with Sauber. Sauber is the de facto junior team of the grid, right? Mm. Who here hasn't started with Sauber? Um, yeah, so they're the, they're the developer team of F1. Everybody has a relationship with them, so... Would they want to get rid of Joe or Bottas for him? Potentially. It's an option. I think he is a good driver. You can't deny that. He's very good. You give him a good piece of equipment and don't put the the pressure on him that Red Bull and the media have put on him, and he will get there. So I think if it comes down to it, he could replace either. My preference would be to see Valtteri with Perez. Oh, for sure. If I had to pick one of the two, I would keep Bottas. I think that's a fantastic lineup. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll have to see. And now for my favorite team. The team that I would die for. The team... In a suicide attack? Yes. If if there was a, a school shooting and oh, Nico Hulkenberg... unfortunate. <laughs> Nico Hulkenberg does kind of look like someone who would have shot up Columbine, though, if I by looking at him just right there. Yeah, we're getting sued. I'm sorry, Sean. <laughs> Anyways, my favorite team, Haas. They're going to keep both of their drivers. I, actually, okay. I would have said this two months ago. I would have said they're going to keep him for 10 years if Steiner's there. Steiner's now gone. I wonder if Kamatsu at least gets rid of Magnuson. No. No? No. Because he has no business being there still. Hulkenberg has no business either, in my opinion. But 
<laughs> I've already hashed this out, but at least he helps them with development and at least he does good qualifying times. So you don't think Komatsu is going to get rid of Magnuson? It's difficult to say because there's already a lot of change happening. Getting rid of your team principal who's been there since the beginning of the team, right? This Haas F1 team is the last bespoke F1 team to enter the, the championship. They didn't buy an existing team. They created a team from scratch, and Steiner did that. Whether or not it's good doesn't matter. It takes some effort and some skill to develop a team from scratch. That's fair. So for someone like Komatsu, who has no experience being a team principal, and I said this in my F1 uh, therapist episode, I truly hope he does well, and I wish the best for him. I don't know that he takes the risk in changing the lineup. He knows K-Mag. He knows Nico. The easy thing to do is say, let's be consistent. Let's stick with the known entity. And let's work on the car. But that's what Steiner did. And you could say that was part of the problem. They never figured it out. But he didn't do that. Because how many drivers has Haas, Haas, Haas had? Uh, you ran through this in one of your episodes. It was six. So it was Gutierrez, which he got rid of after one season. And he kept Grosjean and brought Magnussen. And then worshipped the ground Kevin Magnussen walked on. Stopping short of raping him in the way that the Drive to Survive camera crew did. <laughs> I couldn't resist. Um, and worshipped the ground Kevin Magnuson walked on. And then when he had to offload them because they ran out of money, partially his fault. Um, it's not because they ran out of money. You, you saw the team unravel in front of your eyes watching these performances where they were okay in, in Australia and then shit the bed everywhere else. Yeah, and actually right. that's exactly what happened this year too. And then K-Mag fucking lost his shit, and Grosjean's just generally incompetent, so he oh fired my. them both. Yeah, well, right. smartest thing he ever did, so why bring Magnuson back? Known entity. But I, I hate I, the guy, but he's consistent. But that's why I'm saying that was part of the problem. Maybe Kamatsu finally says, you know what? I can maybe handle a rookie a bit better. There's who? There's Vesti, there's Beerman. No, no, no. You don't go for someone like that. At least I hope they don't. So I'm basing this just on the impressions we got of Komatsu over the last couple of years, which is not a lot. He doesn't make himself known, right? He's a technical director who largely we don't hear about. We don't hear about technical directors. For the most part. Um, so we've seen him on Drive to Survive. We've seen him on the radio every once in a while during a Grand Prix. We've seen the interviews with him recently. He doesn't seem like the personality that's going to just jump in and make drastic changes. He's an engineer. He seems to be a pretty stereotypical engineer in the sense that he likes data to be presented in meaningful ways consistently. Sounds like Benotto. Your description of Benotto. Engineers. Mm -hmm. So, it would be great if he came in and said, you know what, I'm going to throw the whole thing in the garbage. 
I'm getting rid of the two drivers. I'm getting rid of half the technical staff. We're going to do it my way. That's not the impression I get, unless he's been holding this in his back pocket the entire time and is one of the best actors in the world. I don't see that happening. That's fair. So I think what happens is he goes, throw the fucking car out. We're not going to buy parts from Delara. We're not going to buy parts from Ferrari. We're going to keep the drivers. We're going to develop our own parts. And he has two of the best developers of all time on his team. I'm pretending like I'm reading a script here, like uh, a, 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 what is it, a sponsorship script here for Hulkenberg and Magnuson, the two best drivers ever. Well, let me jump in there and say, when you buy half your car, or not half, but a good portion of your car based on listed parts from Ferrari, Mm. and Ferrari's made a shit car, and you try and piece together a car that is part Ferrari, part, hey, look, we're taking pictures of a Red Bull, there's very little a good developer can do for you, right? The driver is not the person that designs and builds the car. The driver is the person that provides feedback. And if your engineers can't take that feedback and convert it into meaningful data, it's useless. So even if they had a Michael Schumacher, a Max Verstappen, uh, whoever you deem to be a good developer, if they don't have the technical staff and the leeway in the design to be able to develop a good car, it doesn't fucking matter. And that's why I say from an engineering perspective, and Komatsu seems to be a reasonable engineer, it's fuck this idea of spending under the cost cap buying all this shit from Ferrari. We're going to buy these critical components. We're not going to make a transmission. We'll buy Ferrari's transmission. We'll buy Ferrari's engine. We're not going to stick ourselves to their brake ducts or their wheel tubs or anything like this. But it, it, to your point, if Steiner was good enough, he would have figured, like Ferrari figured out something in a few of those Steiner years. Steiner never graduated from engineering school. Sounded like he never graduated from any school, he by the way he talked. <laughs> he didn't. <laughs> he didn't. <laughs> Um, but, but the point I'm trying to make is they would have figured out something by now. And I just, I guess with Kamatsu, they might. And I think Kamatsu will probably look and say, eventually, do I really need these two morons on my team? Yeah, and I think he will get there. I don't know that it's for 25. That's fair. That's a fair point. Nico Hulkenberg, like every, I'm going to predict this like everybody else did, he will break his podium duck this year. That was an actual prediction by the majority of the F1 um journalist community that he was just going to be that amazing at Haas. So I want to be in on that. Okay. I want Will Buxton having drinks with me at midnight on Saturday night. Crying over how great of a performance it was. Oh, he won't be crying. I'm totally getting sued with this podcast eventually. Oh man, I can't help myself. Anyways, I think we nailed it. That was a great discussion. We talked about everything I wanted to talk to eventually, like talk about eventually. But that's just how we talk here. You and I, we just sort of talk about everything and eventually we get to the point that we wanted to get to. Yeah. I just hope everybody stuck with us through the whole thing. I think after the diarrhea thing, they might have turned it off. But, you know. I mean, that was pretty... Oh, we talked... Yeah, the second time we came around. <laughs> You're right. There was more than once. <laughs> oh, God. I do have one question for you before we end. Mm -hmm. 
What did Nico Hulkenberg do to you to make you hate him so much? You know that you know that scene in Schindler's List when Ralph finds oh, his... I knew this was a bad thing to ask. <laughs> <laughs> when he's smoking that cigarette and looking out the window. He was shooting at me, Sean. I survived. All yeah. right. Yeah. I was going to ask if he murdered your father or raped your mother, but I mean... That's, that's even worse. At least I made that funny. <laughs> All right. So... He looks like someone who would have been on the, on the bad side of Schindler's List. Kind of? Why does he dye in his hair blonde? That's what we need to get to the bottom of. As someone who works with Germans, that is... He's not dyeing his hair blonde. That is the color... Oh, you're talking about his um, frosted tips. His, his frosted just, tips. His Justin Timberlake okay, uh, throwback. Yeah, I, I take that back. That and is... I and I want him to be bye 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 for the 2025 season. You like yeah, what I did there? That was a fucking choice and a half. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else you want to add before we wrap this up? No, I'm good. I just hope we don't get canceled for this. No, we're getting canceled at some point, but no one can really be canceled. Okay. Like, do you think do you think your racism racism is going to be the only racism on this podcast and going forward? Like, I'm definitely going to slip up at some point. I I would argue that you have. You're racist against Germans in this episode, but can you really be racist against the white race? That's a question. This is F1 philosophy. We <laughs> might answer that one day. Philosophical discussions go everywhere. That's what I love about us is that we just talk about everything and it leads anywhere. I hope you guys get a taste of what of what our conversations are. I, I love this, and I'm, I'm looking forward to doing more of these throughout the season. And at the end of the day, it's just two people talking about whatever. And getting drunk. We have no ties and no affiliation to anything but just sitting in the basement, mm -hmm. drinking and talking about F1. Not yet. Um, I would hope that Trump Tower would sponsor us at this, uh, sponsor this podcast at some point this year. Yeah. <laughs> let's not do that. No, let's not do that. But it would be cool. We wouldn't get paid if that was the case. Yeah, that's a good point. So who who do we want us to sponsor? Who do we want to sponsor us? Clearly kick and stake. Oh my god. So they've got money to throw around. We'll have to turn this podcast green and white. Do you think we could get the the people from YTV to sponsor us? Or Nickelodeon that guy that from that hosted. Uh oh, yeah, come back, come out of retirement for that. What was his name again? Oh my uh, god. I I am DJ Nicholas Pickles, by the way, from Video and Arcade Top Ten. From everyone who remembers the old YTV here in uh, Ontario, <laughs> I am DJ Nicholas Pickles. I will be DJing at one of the Grand Prix this year. It's a bold mm -hmm. statement. Yeah, it's gonna happen. Probably not. All right. Thanks for sticking with us. Sean, thanks for doing this tonight. Hey. Whether I'm here or not, it was fun. Awesome. <laughs> I just got that. <laughs> he's a figment of my imagination, people. You may never know if he's real.